Ben, bienvenue, and welcome to The Musical Man, the podcast that shines new light on the Tony Award for Best Musical. Each week, we examine the nominees and winners of that esteemed decoration, and this week, we'll be discussing Big Deal. doing? Let's check in with each other. Oh, Patty, you seem to be in a good mood. Yes, I seem to be in a good mood, but are we hiding something? No, we're we're not. (laughs) We're not Billy Joel strangering our way through the world. So I just want to follow up on the Best Musical nominees for 2019. Apparently, last week, I assumed that by the time we got to this episode, those would have been announced. But I I understood fully that those aren't going to be released until the 30th. I guess I assumed the 30th would have come and gone by now, and we'd have those 2019 nominees in, you know, in hand. But the calendar, you know, the calendar bends to no musical man, so we'll have to wait until next week's episode. Yes, Jonathan, that's how time works. I will say that with more time to think, I have uh, I have changed my predictions, Patty. Yes, I have tweaked them ever so slightly. I'm I'm glad, actually, that I had this time uh, because I I think this is a safer, more reasonable collection of shows. So I've chosen to swap out my Beetlejuice prediction for Tootsie, mainly because Tootsie is written by David Yazbek, and he wrote The Band's Visit, which won Best Musical just last year. So he could easily get a nomination for Tootsie, you know, while riding the Band's Visit wave. So my updated predictions for Best Musical nominees are now officially Be More Chill, Tootsie, Hades Town, and The Prom. So I'm very, again, very interested. Very Apparently, I am very impatient to learn if my predictions will come true because last week, I thought they were going to come to me very quickly. And now I have to wait. I have to wait. I have to be very good. I have to be a patient little boy. Mm-hmm. Yes, I do. P.S. Were we all aware that David Yazbek, according to his Wikipedia page, was supposed to write music and lyrics for a show called Bruce Lee, Journey to the West, as well as an adaptation of the movie Animal? house, which was initially supposed to have songs by the Bare Naked Ladies? Sure. Actually, no. (laughs) No to the animal house. I mean, no one wants, no one wants, no one. A musical adaptation of Animal House. When you think of the movie Animal House, your neck should get sweaty. You should start to wonder if homophobia is in the room with you. <laughs> you. When I hear the phrase Animal House, or if I hear references to films like Porky's or Meatballs 
or Caddyshack or Stripes. Oh, I really don't like references to these movies because they make me, they make me fear that maybe there's like a homophobic Gen Xer in the room who's 20 seconds away from taking a golf club to my temple. I just, no, no, thank you. No one wants to hear whatever the characters are in Animal House. What is it? Booger? Uh, Crutch? <laughs> is there a character named Crutch in Animal House? Let's assume. Krusty? Uh, Big Balls. These are the character names that I assume are featured in the film Animal House. No, Revenge of the Nerds. That's another great example. <laughs> no, thank you. My favorite comedy is Revenge of the Nerds. Watch out for that guy. Watch out for that guy. There is not a single... It's gonna be a guy. I'm just saying. There are no living women. No living women who love Revenge of the Nerds. Okay, so anyway, I want to tell a quick story, just a personal story in this opening segment. It doesn't have anything to do with musicals. I know, I know, it doesn't have anything to do with musicals, but that's okay, sometimes we can tell stories that are not related to musicals, yes? Yes, yes? Okay, great. I should say this is an explicit story. I know the show, the podcast in general, has an explicit tag hanging over it, so you should already understand that the show is explicit, but just I just want you to know this story is, is especially explicit. Maybe I'm overstating things a little bit, but if you're listening with children, <laughs> I wouldn't recommend it, uh, just maybe take those little tykes out of the room. Let them have some screen time. Come on, give them some, give them some screen time. Give them some screen time. Okay, so here's my story. My boyfriend and I went to a free screening of the Rafe Fiennes. Is it Rafe? I hope it is. The Rafe Fiennes film he directed and is featured in it. It's a film called The White Crow. It's about a Russian ballet dancer who apparently is very famous. He is a bisexual ballet dancer who, oh, how he did the ballet. He did it for years, and every time he did it, people would go, now that's ballet. So, uh, Packed House, 99% gay white men. Sitting in front of us was a man in his 40s who came into the screening with a friend, lover, not quite sure what the dynamic is here, but the guy he came in with was in his 70s, I believe. So we got a guy in his 40s and a guy in his 70s. Guy in his 40s brings out his phone, you know, opens up a hookup app, starts showing his 70-plus-year-old friend photos of guys featured on the hookup app. Face pics, torso pics. I, I, I'm just, I, at first, uh, my reaction was, I'd really rather not see this person This is this, doing this. You know, this is sort of, a, wait until you get home to do this silly game of what do you think of this person? What do you think of this person? What do you think of this person? Get a personality, I'm just saying. Then it got bad. You know how we recently got that picture, that first picture of a black hole? Well, it was similar to that in that it was a photo of a gaping asshole. Just a big, like, Oreo-sized, just as dark, big asshole. Yeah, aimed right at the camera. Cheeks not being spread apart, oddly. This asshole, this butthole was so big and so mm, experienced, I should say, that it didn't need the help of helping hands to be seen by the world. And I turned to my boyfriend, Chris, and I said pointedly and 
with not a little bit of volume. I'd say there was quite a bit of volume. I said, hey, this guy sitting in front of me is looking at a picture of a gaping asshole and it's really making me uncomfortable. And the guy put his phone away. So it worked. It worked. I, I, I put my intentions out into the world and the world heard me and the gaping asshole was tucked away. I'm just saying, it's a public fucking space. You know what I mean? And I know we're all here to see a movie about a cold, stoic, bisexual Russian ballet dancer. And we're all mostly gay men. But that doesn't mean I want to see the butthole pics that are coming into your hookup app inbox. Beep, beep. New pick. Beep, beep. New butthole. No, thank you. I just wanted to get that off my chest. Have it be on the record. Thank you very much, Patty, for indulging me. And now let the tykes back in. <laughs> I'm just going to be cursing from here on out, as I normally do week in and week out. So if you're fine with your kids hearing that, then have them come back in. No more screen time, kids. It's time to use your ears, not your eyes, to learn something, yes? Okay, so let's get the show facts. Big Deal was a 1986 nominee for the Tony Award for Best Musical. It opened on Broadway on April 10th, 1986 at the Broadway Theater and ran for only 69 performances. The book was written by Bob Fosse and was based on the 1958 film Big Deal on Madonna Street. Uh, musical enthusiasts would, of course, be more than familiar with Bob Fosse, I would think, from his work on such shows as Chicago, Pippin, Sweet Charity, Damn Yankees, and The Pajama Game, among many other works. He would, of course, have been nothing without his chief collaborator, Gwen Verdon, as the FX series Fosse Verdon is reminding us each and every week this year. I have not seen the show because we do not have cable. Please don't put a pitchfork to my Adam's apple. Ah, my Adam's apple, no! Music and lyrics. So I took the time to get a complete rundown here regarding the music and lyrics because Big Deal is a jukebox show. It is pulling from a huge amount of composers and lyricists, so I wanted to give them credit. I wanted to make sure that they were all uh, given a, a little quick moment here. And of course, as always, if anyone listening knows the proper way that some of these names are pronounced, if you hear me mispronouncing them, I do apologize. Uh, Lord knows that would make my ears sort of shrivel up if I heard that kind of mistake. So just going to put that out there real quick. Going to apologize in advance. So music and lyrics by Lou Brown, Ray Henderson, Abel Bear, Samuel M. Lewis, Joseph Young, Ted Fiorito, Gus Kahn, Nacho Herb Brown, Arthur Freed, Richard Whitting, Fred Fisher, Jerome Kern, Yubi Blake, Noble Sissel, Huey Prince, Don Ray, Eleanor Sheehy, Edward Farley, Red Hodgson, Michael Riley, Al Lewis, Al Sherman, Milton Ager, Jack Palmer, Spencer Williams, David Dreyer, Al Jolson, Louis E. Gensler, Leonello Casucci, Ben Burney, Hal Goring, Walter Donaldson, Bud G. De Silva, Sidney Bichette, Edward Robinson, Ben Smith, Willie Spotswood, Leonard Ware, Dorothy Fields, Jack Ellen, Billy Rose, Leo Rubin, Julius Brommer, Irving Caesar, and Walter Hirsch. Woohoo! That's a damn long list. I'll tell you what, musical orchestrations were overseen by Ralph Burns, musical arrangements were overseen by Gordon Lowry Harrell, the director of the production was Bob Fosse, there was no credited musical director on the IBDB, the choreographer was also Bob Fosse, the set design was by Peter Larkin, the lighting design was by Jules Fisher, the costume design was by Patricia Zabrot, and the original Broadway cast included Clavant Derricks, who would have previously been seen on Broadway in the original production 
production of Dreamgirls as Jimmy Early. Loretta Devine, who would have also been seen on Dreamgirls in the role of Laurel. Uh, the cast also included Alan Weeks, Gary Chapman, Wayne Salento, Desiree Coleman, Bruce Anthony Davis, Mel Johnson Jr., Aldi Lewis Jr., Emmanuel McDonald, Larry Marshall, Manny Nelson, Valerie Pettiford, and Rommel Rowe. Tony nods. Yeah, let's get those Tony nods, baby. Okay, so it was nominated, of course, for Best Musical, duh, the doy. It was also nominated for Best Book of a Musical, which would have gone to Fosse, that nomination. Uh, it was also nominated for Best Performance by a Leading Actor in a Musical, and that went to Clevant Derricks. It was also nominated for Best Direction of a Musical. Fosse, there you go, another nomination. His final nomination in that category, Best Direction of a Musical. Uh, he was nominated six times in that category overall, and won only once, and that was for his efforts on Pippin. And finally, uh, the show did win one Tony. That's Best Choreography. Of course, that went to Fosse. This was his 20th nomination overall, and the last of his 11 nominations for Choreography, eight of which resulted in awards. So in terms of choreography, much better track record in terms of getting those Tonys. For whatever reason, it seems like his work as a director was brushed aside in favor of his choreography. And I, that that had to have been a little frustrating because you're, you're pulling double duty as a director and a choreographer. But for the most part, it seems like the, the Tony voters really just wanted to appreciate him as that dancing man. Oh, oh, how he makes the dances. Director, yeah, what Whatever. Yeah, I directed the damn thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But the dancing. Oh, we love it when you go the pop, pop. We love it when you go pop, pop with the bowler hats, with the gloves, with the boas. Pop, pop. Yeah, I know the pop, pop. I'm Bob Fosse. I invented the pop, pop. Yeah, but we love the pop, pop. So to review, five nominations in total for Big Deal and one when. When it comes to the plot of Big Deal, the details, yet again, very scarce online. So I'm going to be mainly pulling some direct quotes from the April 1986 New York Times review for Big Deal. So here are the quotes from that that sort of relate to the plot. So, uh, quote, Big Deal is Big Deal on Madonna Street, the 1958 comic caper film transposed to Southside Chicago of the Depression and equipped with vintage songs largely of that pop heyday. In place of Marcello Mastriani, Vittorio Gassman, and the rest of their Italian gang that couldn't shoot straight is a quintet of unemployed black men led by a failed boxer who hoped to find happy days by cracking a safe. A tiny farcical anecdote is dragged out to such convoluted lengths that the hapless robbery scheme begins to rival the Normandy invasion in heavy logistic detail. The dull preliminaries that precede the actual crime, among them the theft of a camera, the securing of a safe cracker, and some keys, are endless, only to be exceeded in tedium by the attenuated enactment of the heist itself. Along the way, there's a pro forma comic love story for Clavant Derricks and Loretta Devine, as well as a maudlin one for a star-crossed young couple who inexplicably seem to have wandered in from West Side Story. The crude, lame jokes, some of which are as discomfittingly patronizing as Amos and Andy, include sight gags featuring baby pacifiers and urinals. Those quotes just make my mind explode in a shower of stars. I want 
want to know, I need to know even more about this show when I read these quotes from the New York Times. Pacifiers and urinals? What are these crazy sight gags? Oh, I, I want to know so bad. I know that they would, I know that they would probably land like a bag of wet mud at my feet. Oh, but I, I would gladly go out of my way to go back in time and see Big Deal and this crazy plot. Okay, so I think we just understand it boils down to it's a heist. It's a caper. It's a farce. There's a lot of running around. And throughout the entire show, they are singing a multitude of jukebox tunes that people would have been familiar with. The New York Times does take a couple of moments to compliment Clavant Derricks and Loretta Devine because everyone in the community, I think, loved their work in Dreamgirls. But they were also bemoaning their involvement in this production of Big Deal, which overall, I think you can tell from these quotes, the New York Times, not so much a fan of Fosse's big deal, not a fan of his book, not a fan of his direction. Most of the praise comes down to a a big dance number that is actually featured in the Tony's clip that we're going to be talking about today. But beyond that, big old thumbs down from the New York Times. That's pretty obvious. So when it comes to researching the show, normally this would be the point in an episode where I tell you, you know, what I listened to, what I read, what I sought out and watched. But here's the problem. There is no cast album for Big Deal. A cast album was never recorded. The book of the script is seemingly not available, not even through the Chicago Public Library system, which I've relied on uh, so strenuously throughout these, uh, for, for some shows. And the film on which the show is based, that Italian film, that's not available either. Luckily, the 1986 Tony Awards performance, that is available on YouTube. It showcases the Beat Me Daddy 8 to the Bar sequence. So that's the sequence I would have just mentioned a moment ago. And this was widely regarded as the show's highlight. It was so popular, in fact, it was eventually recreated as the curtain call for Fosse. This is a show that was known only as Fosse. We'll eventually get to it here in the main feed of the show because I can't remember if it was nominated or won Best Musical. I think it won, actually. So Fosse is a dance review retrospective on Bob Fosse's work. You know, if I had just looked at my notes... (laughs) It says right here, the notes that I made. Yes, it won Best Musical in 1999. So clearly, Beat Me Daddy H to the Bar was so well-received that it was lifted and used in Fosse. So I'm glad that Big Deal was able to offer something to the canon overall, because beyond, beyond that number, it seems like the community has really swept it under the rug. It must have really been despised overall. It seems like people were really disappointed in it. And that, that's a shame, because it was Bob's last show, and you know, that that's just a big disappointment, I'm sure. You know, he won Best Choreography, but, I don't know, just to see that kind of criticism in the New York Times, even with the thickest of skin, that, that review is really quite poisonous. When you watch the Tony's clip, you're reminded all over again how no one moves like a dancer led by Fosse, trained by Fosse. Was Fosse a miserable dick and a womanizer, to say the least, most assuredly, as Fosse Verdon teaches us every week, makes clear to us every week again and again. But Be Me Daddy is undeniably engrossing from start to finish, featuring more pops, pop, pop, thrusts, <clears throat> and bullet fire precision.
vision than you could possibly handle. The set dressing in the Tony's clip is more than a little confounding. The review in the New York Times went into this as well, how the set was very ugly. It boils down to little more than what looks like a shed or an outhouse, and, and that's it. That's all we have on stage. And it's lit by this dinky disco ball that's hanging above everyone. It's hovering above the dancers. Most of the ensemble is packed in near the shed. They're packed way up against the shed, way upstage. It's really confusing. While the two featured dancers get to bask in the spotlight, after a while you wonder what Fosse was trying to convey with this stage picture. You know, having everybody be a blob upstage while these two guys just sort of get to do their own thing. It certainly doesn't reveal anything about the story or showcase its virtues beyond dance, baby, dance. I mean, even Bob seems to be kind of, I'm sure in his mind he's like, this this show is a fucking stinker. This book of mine that I wrote isn't exactly setting the world on fire. I have to just focus on the dance because if this show is going to succeed on any level, I have to invest my, my blood and my sweat and my tears into at least one pop him in the fucking jaw moment, and that's uh, beat me, daddy, ate to the bar. The clip ends with Fosse's acceptance speech. We we jump cut to that moment when he won the award for best choreography, and he is appropriately, you know, very upbeat and very deferential. He had a great run, and he had a great run despite his awful behavior. <laughs> So I, I'm sure in his mind, that's why he that's why he's as upbeat and deferential as he is. I'm sure in his mind, he's thinking, well, I got to be <laughs> I got to try and be a good person here because everyone kind of knows my reputation. Everyone knows how I kind of treat people. So maybe I'll just be humble for once. Maybe I'll just get on stage, have a nice little speech and then get the fuck out. So uh, good for you, Bob, for presumably putting that putting that together. Now, as I said, there is no cast album. The only music that you're ever going to hear from this show is what you heard at the very beginning of the podcast. Unfortunately, that's music from the Tony's clip I just talked about. Uh, but I do have here a list of all of the songs that were featured in the show. So at the very least, I do want to provide you with that. You know, it's going to just be me rambling off information, <laughs> kind of, you know, shooting it at you real quick. Bam, 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 bam. But I least you'll have a reference for the songs that were pulled from the canon and dropped into this show. Apparently, the arrangements for a lot of these, according, again, to the New York Times Review, my only real main source for this show, uh, apparently the arrangements were very uh, digitized, very electronic, a lot of like weird disco sort of thrown into the mix. Now, I'm a fan of disco, but again, I don't necessarily think the New York Times Review, it, they, they crystallize this point that I'm trying to make. They do a much better job. Uh, I, I, made, I made this point in regards to Swinging on a Star, so the, here's here's another quote from the New York Times. I know I just said I'd give you the song list, but I want to do this first. Quote, some songs are distorted by either the coarse amplification or the synthesizer-laden rap and disco arrangements that self-destructively sabotage the 30s idiom of the dancing, the snazzy Patricia Zabrat costumes, and the choices of songs themselves. If a musical is going to use old standards, a second-class substitute for an exciting new score to start with, why mutilate them. I, again, I, I absolutely agree with this. Of course, rap and disco have a place in the musical theater canon. I'm not trying to say that we should never involve those styles, but I, I agree with this. If you're going to be pulling from the 1930s and you're not going to bother to write a new score, why not just help the music that exists to be the best version of itself that it can be? Don't try to pull in what you think is going to be hip, because it's not going to work. It's going to make you seem old. It's going to make you seem like a bunch of old fucking fogies getting together and putting on this show trying to appeal to... What What, what are you trying to do there with, with the inclusion of the rap and the disco? You're not going to pull
pull in the teenagers. <laughs> you know, the teenagers who can't afford Broadway tickets to begin with. I don't, I don't understand what the young people, the young adults. It just, it's not going to work, so don't even bother. So let's get that full list of songs, shall we? I, I know I promised it earlier, but now you're getting it. Okay, thank you for being patient. Life is just a bowl of cherries for no good reason at all. Charlie, my boy, I've got a feeling you're fooling. Two separate songs. I know I just made it sound like they were one. Ain't We Got Fun? Chicago, pick yourself up. I'm just wild about Harry. Beat me daddy, age of the bar, of course. The music goes round and round. Now's the time to fall in love. Ain't she sweet? Everybody loves my baby, me and my shadow. Love is just around the corner, just a gigolo. Who's your little who's Yes, sir, that's my baby. Button up your overcoat. Daddy, you've been a mother to me. Second, second daddy song. Hold tight, hold tight. Happy days are here again, and the show ends on I'm sitting on top of the world. Well, that's it. <laughs> that's really all I can say about the songs. Unfortunately, I know this is a this is a thin episode overall. I'm going to admit that right now. I wish I could give you more, but I just can't. And now it's time for what's this? Oh, not not a word from our sponsor, 5678 Orange Grove. We're going to be getting a musical shout out. That's right, because we have a brand new Patreon donor. Yes, Lily, thank you very much. This musical shout out goes out to you, Lily. So let's take it away. Knock, knock, who's there? It's me, Michelle Tenner. Oh, yes, oh, direct from Broadway. That's right. Yes, yes, my agent and I are working very hard to put on a new show. Yes, it's all about me, Michelle. It's called Michelle, with an exclamation point. Yes, I'm very excited to be advertising my show here on whatever this is, this podcast. Yes, it's me, little Michelle, very small, got kicked in the head by a horse, much like that girl from the light in the piazza. I got kicked in the head by a horse. I, I lost my mind. I lost my mind. It's true, yeah. And horse, he hit me, and I lose my memory, but now I'm back, baby. It's me, Michelle. And apparently I am also supposed to be, you know, doing a musical shout-out for a lady named Lily. I do not know. I do not know. I do not know. This person... I do not know her, but yet I must sing a song. So how about a song from Michelle Tenner? The song, the, the song from the musical, huh? But instead of Michelle, let's, let's have some fun. Let's have some fun. Let's have some fun. Let's have some fun. Okay, so we take out Michelle. Okay, we lift it out and we put in Lily's name instead. Huh? Uh, I think that's a very good idea. Okay, so a five, six, seven, eight. Yeah, yeah. No, no, no. Not five, six, seven, eight coffee. I'm just setting up myself. All right. Da, 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 da. Five, six, seven, eight. Okay, here we go. Huh? Oh, Lily, she's so pretty. Oh, Lily, she's so fine. Oh, Lily, oh, I want to make her mine. It's a weird song. It's a weird song. The original context with the, with the Michelle, when you put a Michelle, it's like I'm singing about myself. You know, it's the part of the full house where I look in the mirror and I'm talking to myself. And so I'm saying, Michelle, you're so pretty. Michelle, I want to make your mind. And I'm saying, it's like I'm talking to my memory, huh? And I go, ha ha, Rumbe. Come here, silly. Oh, and then we reunite. Ha ha, Rumbe. And I become myself again. And everything is great, huh? There's also a big 
big villain song from the horse. He goes, nay, nay, Michelle, Michelle, nay, nay, I'll crush your head like a grape. And you will never know peace again. It's a bad horse. It's a very bad nay, nay, horse, nay, 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 rumbe. Thank you so much, Lily, for being a Patreon donor to whatever this show is. Not very familiar. And where? Hey, if you want to go see Michelle on Broadway with an exclamation point, I'll have a complimentary ticket for you at a box of this. Yes, it's true. Okay, so bye-bye. Okay, bye-bye. See you on Broadway. Okay, bye-bye. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Final thoughts regarding Big Deal. It's unfortunate that our first Fosse show should be his last and obviously, arguably, his least successful. But it makes me all the more excited to tackle his other works. Now, in 1986, the musical that won Best Musical was The Mystery of Edwin Drood, and the other nominees that year were Song and Dance and Tango Argentino. I am partial to The Mystery of Edwin Drood, myself. I find it to be funky. I I believe it went out of its way to do something different with the form. And these other nominees inspire little more than a shoulder shrug from me. So congrats, Mr. Drew. You can rest easy in your winner spot. And when it comes to ranking the show, I mean, you know, sadly, as I'm unable to get my hands on the book for Big Deal or listen to its score, I don't think it can be fairly ranked against the other shows we've tackled here. Here on the podcast. I knew this would happen eventually, as many of the shows on our list were never preserved via cast album, and their books have been essentially thrown to the winds. And so I've created what we're going to call the Phantom Zone. Yes, we're pulling inspiration from the Superman. It is here we will find the shows I have deemed too obscure to rank, and Big Deal is our first entry into the Phantom Zone's shadowy realm. My apologies big deal. Perhaps someday we'll see a revival of you, though I don't think we should hold our breath. Now, when it comes to show-related ephemera, I don't think anyone is going to be knocked out of their socks or on their asses when I say that I couldn't find anything relating to Big Deal. Shocking! Yeah! Ooh, put on your socks, baby! But here's a clip. I did find a clip of Rosie O'Donnell interviewing Liza Minnelli for The Rosie Show. If you'll remember at one point, Rosie had a show simply called The Rosie Show. In the clip, Liza discusses one of her earliest interactions with Bob Fosse while filming Cabaret. So here's that clip. I must have made him nervous or something because he suddenly got vaguely defensive. You can tell when somebody gets defensive, you can tell who they are by how they go. Mm -hmm. He suddenly said, how do you feel about going topless? I said, I uh, won't do it. He said, well, what if the scene calls for it? I said, it can call another way. There's always a way around it, isn't there? And he said, all right, I was just wondering. I said, yeah. But I knew what he was doing. Seeing how far and, and he, he could knew what push I was you, doing, right? And yeah. you were saying, "I will not go and there." Right, we got a, right away. We clicked. Yeah, I'm glad. <laughs> I'm glad Eliza views this 
this moment, this this moment as the moment that they clicked. You know, this was really this was the instance in which Bob and I really clicked because for almost anyone else, it would be viewed as a pretty disquieting and gross interaction. Oh, you know, Fosse was insecure, so he tried to force. Uh, the idea of me going topless, but I said no, and then we clicked, just like that. He tried to force his toxic masculinity on me, he tried to, you know, throw his power around, and I, I said no, and that was his test, and I passed his test, and we were friends from there on out. Liza Minnelli, you know, always the optimist, I guess. Also, I just want to, <laughs> this is how the clip starts. It's Rosie, baby. It's Rosie, baby. This would lead you to think the show's going to be a fun, fast, and loose sort of affair. But let me be clear. This interview between Rosie and Eliza couldn't be more sleepy and stilted if it tried. You can practically hear the air conditioning during the pauses between questions. Eliza has almost no ability to put sentences together at the beginning of this clip. It's astonishing. So much air. feels like they're interacting with each other in a cavernous meat freezer. A little stiff is what I'm saying. As I mentioned earlier, Lily is our latest Patreon donor, and she has earned the right to determine where the musical carousel takes us next week. So we're not going to be using the musical carousel's random number generator mechanic. No, no, no. No, no. Lily knows where we are going to... I almost called you Lila. (laughs) That's not your name. You're not Lila. You're Lily. So Lily knows where we're going, and we are going to discuss next week the 1988 nominee for Best Musical. That's right. Stephen Sondheim's into the woods, yeah, into the woods, yeah, big show, lots of albums, the exact opposite of Bob Fosse's big deal. I believe I, Lily has told me that it is her favorite show, so I hope my deconstruction of it can do it justice. Thank you, as always, to everyone who is listening. Thank you to our Patreon donors, including Lily. This is the part of the show where if you're a donor, you get a verbal shout-out, of course. So Lily, Haley, Brandon, Brad, Matt, Zach, and Marisol, thank you very much. Uh, if you go to patreon.com slash musicalmanpod, you can get all of the information regarding the donation tiers and all of the incentives that come with that. You too can get verbal shout-outs. You can get musical shout-outs, like the one we got from Michelle Tanner today. You too can determine which show we talk about on the podcast. You can also get access to weekly episodes of All I Ask of You and monthly episodes of The Snub Club. If you do donate, just know that your money goes toward the purchasing of cast recordings, movie rentals, and offsetting Podbean costs. And if we ever get to the point where we have a total of $100 or more coming in each month in donations, uh, that will result in me producing The Movie Musical Man, a special series in which I discuss movie musicals we wouldn't normally interact with here in the main feed. That's right. That's very true. And that will be available to all Patreon donors, no matter what, what, no matter what tier you're in. It's going to be made available to all of you, my wonderful, wonderful musical minions. I haven't used that term in a while. If you're listening to the show through iTunes, please leave an iTunes review in the iTunes store. iTunes, iTunes, iTunes. If you do and you reach out to me, if you let me know that you have done so, I will provide to you my cover of Light My Candle from Rent, meant to uh, mention that last week, but 
I didn't. So right now I'm just going to say uh, it's real kooky and real fun. So if you want that, I'll send it directly to you if you do the work, baby. Musicalmanpod.podbean.com is our Podbean site for streaming purposes. We can also, uh, we, we, we can give you this. How about a second streaming option on Stitcher? That's right, Stitcher, baby. Follow us on Twitter at MusicalManPod and email us at MusicalManPod at gmail.com. I asked for people to email me this week because I knew the show I was talking about would not provide a lot to talk about. <laughs> I got an email from Connor here. Connor, thank you so much. Uh, Connor opens his email by saying, Hello, I'm here with a question and a hot take. First question is, what is your favorite lesser-known musical? Well, Connor, here's my answer to that question. I'm a fan, despite the fact that I know it's not actually a very good show, I am a fan of Frank Wildhorn's Wonderland, his Alice in Wonderland musical, which I believe premiered the same season as his Bonnie and Clyde musical. Neither did well. I believe both closed under with, with under 100 performances each, but Wonderland has some good, cheesy nuggets in there. Uh, there's some fun stuff in there. There's a proper Disney villain song called I Will Prevail. Now every piece is in place and all that's left to erase before I take over It's, it's, it's actually a lot of fun. It's it's stupid. I've seen the show, like a bootleg of the show on YouTube. I know. <laughs> really shouldn't be interacting with bootlegs. It's bad, but I, I, I couldn't help myself. The Book of Wonderland is ungodly. It's terrible. They make a there is nothing like a dame joke. It's terrible. But again, good nuggets there. Bat Boy is genuinely great. I'm sure many people who listen to this show are already familiar with Bat Boy. That never made it to Broadway. We need a new revival of Bat Boy on Broadway. And I think Benjamin Platt from Dear Evan Henson should be Bat Boy. I want to take off his shirt. I want to see that boy running around as a bat. I want to see him as bad boys. What I want to do, and I also love Princess Diana the Musical. I have I have big plans for Princess Diana the Musical. Not this new one that's being developed currently. No, 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 no. There is another Princess Diana musical. There are actually two versions of it. Uh, the second one has updated lyrics, and the original album you can't even get online anymore. But I have it. Oh, I have big plans. Big plans for you, Princess Diana. I just don't know when those plans are going to be realized. But uh, again, if you want to just find it on Spotify, you're going to get the most updated version, which is less crazy, but it's, it, trust me, it's still worth it. Connor's hot take is that, quote, Waitress would not be popular without Sarah Bareilles. I agree. Uh, she is clearly instrumental to that show's success. And I, I the more I thought about it, it didn't take me long to realize She Used to Be Mine has already clearly made its way into the canon as a classic song. Everyone loves that 
that song. That, that, that's a, that song is amazing, and I, I, I would recommend it to anyone for any audition. If I had to hear a million women sing She Used to Be Mine, it, it, would, be, it would be a pleasurable experience. Even if they couldn't sing well, that song is still great. Uh, Connor also says, what do you think of Jeremy Jordan's baby? I looked her up. Uh, her name's Clara. She's a cute little alien potato, much like many a baby. Uh, also, um, just not related to the baby, I would choke on Jeremy Jordan for breakfast. We got a second email. Thank you again, Connor. Uh, we got a second email from Charlotte. Uh, she uh, let me know that she recently moved from London to Chicago, and she has been cast in a Mamma Mia production, which is fantastic. Uh, she's doing all she can to help promote the show, which I greatly appreciate. Uh, P.S. Uh, our exchange uh, inspired me. I, there's, there's like a Mamma Mia dinner theater experience that's being developed outdoors, I believe, maybe in Australia. But I came up with the idea, why not bring together the aesthetic of Mamma Mia with Starlight Express and have Mamma Mia on rollerblades? Is this a concept we can embrace somewhere, please? It seems like the two worlds need to mesh. Rollerblading Mamma Mia? Thank you very much. Oh, I, in advance, please, someone direct that production. Thank you again to Alex Green for our beautiful logo and Zach Little for our underscore music. There's that doorbell, baby. Love that doorbell. You know what that sound means, though? Oh, I love the sound, but I don't love what it means. Oh, just when the fun is starting comes the time for parting. Oh, well. We'll catch up some other time, specifically on the next episode of The Musical Man. So long, farewell, auf Wiedersehen, and good night. <laughs>